Welcome. This is Mark from Mark on Money. And on today's show, we're going to talk about some overlooked items to consider when you map out your retirement. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money with your host, Mark Gills. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Welcome in, everybody. This is Mark on Money with Mark Eels. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Mark is a certified financial planner. He is a fiduciary and independent. You'll find him at EFS Wealth Management. And, uh, well, you've got a lot of experience, too, Mark, uh, better than 30 years. Hi, how are you? I know, and time flies. Really does. You know, and time flies when it comes up to retirement, too. So what we're going to talk about today is some often overlooked things, you know, and, and, you know, this is really is a pretty open discussion, open to a lot of people that'll cover a lot of things in a lot of different age groups. So we're not necessarily just focusing on people that are in retirement or near retirement. This could be people that are 20 years away. Sure. So I think this is a good discussion to have. Um, you know, the first thing, you know, since this is, you know, kind of the beginning of the year, but this is something that could go throughout, you know, any time of the year is, you know, making sure you're contributing the right amount to your 401k. And that's a question that I get fairly often is, you know, what is the optimal amount that you should be contributing into your 401k? And just so you know that the majority of people save less than 10% of their salary. But if they could save another 10% on taxes, they could retire two with two times the savings. Because, you know, if you're putting money into 401k and it's going into it pre-tax, what you're doing is effectively, you know, turbocharging your retirement because you get to borrow money tax-free and invest it. And don't, it, it's basically a tax-free loan. Yes, you're going to have to pay that loan back at some time. But if I gave you free money and said, hey, you know, do whatever you, whatever you want with it for 50 years and, you know, pay it back to me. Um, 50 years from now, who wouldn't take me up on that offer? Seems like a good deal to me, Mark. And so understanding the available tax savings and using the right tools to maximize your savings can always give you an extra leg up in retirement. So that's, that's what you have to look at is, you know, maximize that 401k. And my personal opinion is you should be saving no less than 10% personally you know, regardless of what the company is matching, you should be doing at least 10% and hopefully more than that. And so if you start out at 10, increase at 1% per year until you hit the maximum level. You know, that's always another good rule of thumb. But all of my kids, uh, when they started their jobs, all started out saving 15% into their 401ks, and they've never said anything about, well, it's affected their lifestyle, you know, they couldn't do this or they couldn't do that. You know, once you start saving, if you do it immediately, you never ever, uh, it seems like, uh, impacts your your uh, style of living because it's just adjusted to what you're currently making. 
And it's it's never something that, oh, you know, all of a sudden you got to bump up your 401k when you're in your 40s. And, you know, you need to double what you're contributing and you've got all of these other obligations. Then, yes, it can have an impact. Absolutely, it can. And, and you know, you talk about, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is, but, you know, you can contribute right now, you can contribute $20,500 a year. And if you're over 50, that jumps up to $27,000. I mean, imagine doing that for three years even. Yeah, I mean, that adds up, you know, and, and you know, and that's money saved, that's money that's earning interest, that's money that's working for you. So, you know, that's always a good thing to do. So I'm glad you brought that up. And, yeah, those contribution limits this year uh, increased on your 401k by $1,000 for, you know, your base contribution and $500 for catch-up contributions. And again, so, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And, and so, okay, 401k, that's a great place to start. And, and so I think one of the questions that you must get, or at least a question that I ask is, okay, so I know how much money I make now when I'm working. How much money is are my savings and Social Security going to pay me when I retire? That becomes key, and, and it's good to, and that really depends on where you live, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when planning for retirement, you've got to determine your livable annual wage, and you can start by, you know, identifying what that wage is in your state. For example, the livable wage in Florida is fifty thousand dollars, and you know, one of the things you've got to do is determine the amount of cash you have available to you in a year. And your second step is determining how your livable wage will be funded, where you're going to take those distributions from. Is it going to come from a pension? Is it going to come from Social Security, from investments? Uh, and then determine that withdrawal strategy. One of the things I usually ask people, <clears throat> because I get this question a lot, is, you know, what are you taking home right now? What's going into um, what's going into the bank, you know, from your paycheck? Mm -hmm. And and then they, and they tell me, well, it's, you know, I'm getting, you know, $2,500 a month, you know, or, um, you know, and between the two of us, it's, it's $4,000 a month, you know, and, and my question is, is so are you able to do things with that 4,000, you know, are you living paycheck to paycheck or is your bank account accumulating money? You know, what are your obligations? You know, do you have a car payment? Do you have a mortgage, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so that's the starting point because, you know, they've been doing that for, you know, years living on what they're currently getting. And so the question is, is, okay, well, let's say now you're retired and, you know, you're getting the same income that you were getting while you were working, but your mortgage is paid for. You know, you're, you don't have any car payments. The kids aren't home anymore. Um, is that going to be enough money? Most people are like, yeah, if I could, if I could retire today and just continue to earn the same amount of money being deposited into my account, I'd be, I, I'd retire immediately. Oh gosh, and, yesterday. And fine. <laughs> yeah. And <clears throat> you know, this, the, and that's a better rule because I think there's, there's, there's rules of thumb out there that say, well, you know, you should retire with 70 to 80% of your pre retirement income. Yeah, but they don't really specify what that pre-retirement income is because, you know, a person could be making $80,000 a year, but they're they're actually only depositing into their bank account, you know, $4,000 a month because you've got Social Security taxes that come out of it, federal income taxes, maybe state income taxes. You have retirement distributions that are going into their retirement plan. You have costs for medical insurance, maybe disability insurance, you know, maybe they're putting money into a flexible pay plan, 
Um, you know, so there's all kinds of deductions that are coming out of their paycheck. And so they, they, they already may, you know, be, you know, taking, you know, maybe living on 60% of what their, what their gross income is. So that's a terrible rule of thumb. And my better rule of thumb is, is what are you making now? What are your expenses now? How does that look? And also remembering that I don't like that rule of thumb because, again, I've worked with, you know, thousands of retirees over my career. And people tend to spend more money in retirement, not less than what they're making. So if you're if you're living on five or six thousand dollars a month now that's going in the bank account, you know, that's not really a good rule of thumb to say, well, if I'm retired, I can still live on five or six thousand dollars a month. No, you want to have fun in retirement. So when you're planning on it, probably should be seven thousand dollars a month is what you should be planning on, because statistics show that people are enjoying retirement, at least in the earlier years of retirement, spend about 20 percent more than what they were making prior to retirement. Wow. Okay. I mean, I like that no-nonsense approach, Mark. I mean, it just makes good sense. And as we start to think, as we start to look at other things that are often overlooked, and I don't think people overlook this, they just don't want to talk about it, and we're talking about health care. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people think they can't retire because, you know, they're going to have to spend a ton of money on health care and health insurance, so they actually work longer than what they have to. Um, But I've got people that retired a number of years ago already, um, and because of the Affordable Care Act, their out-of-pocket care, at least on the health insurance end, was zero, you know, because we're able to set up a distribution plan with some after-tax money and Roth money so that they would qualify for 100% subsidy for their health insurance, and a lot of people don't understand that. Um, you know, so you could have six or seven or eight thousand dollars a month in actual spendable income and retire when you're 60 and actually have a hundred percent of your premium subsidized. In other words, no out of pocket costs for the premium portion of the Affordable Care Act as long as your taxable income meets the guidelines. Because it's not about the income you're spending, it's about the taxable income that you're reporting on your tax return. So with a good plan, I mean, you could have a couple million dollars in investments and savings and still actually get free insurance. Now that becomes, I mean, that's really, people don't realize that, but that's so true. Uh, you know, and, and how do we do that? What are some ways that we can accomplish that, Mark? Well, it's it's being, you know, so I, I always say this, find a holistic advisor, not somebody that's just a salesperson or somebody that has a cookie cutter approach, somebody who works specifically with trust with with retirees like us, you know, so our firm, that's what we do. We develop those plans and they should be able to help you navigate that strategy and so that's one of the questions you should be asking potential advisors is, hey, what do you do in a distribution? Can you help me, you know, to qualify for 100% subsidies for the Affordable Care Act? And if they'll be like, well, I don't even know what the subsidy is or this or that. Well, that's a big red flag. That should tell you right off the top that they're not a holistic advisor because or they just simply don't work with retirees. And so you want to find somebody that, that understands that. Um, just like, you know, Medicare, that's part of the whole health care sure. road, you know, and there's something that's called the IRMA tax, 
Oh, and the I remember tax, you talked about that one other time. The IRMA tax is a penalty if you exceed a certain income level. And so for joint couples, it's about $180,000 of adjusted gross income. And if you exceed that, you pay a Medicare tax penalty. And again, that comes back to really who's managing your money and who's giving you that advice. Most accountants are post-tax year. They just simply give you the numbers to you and they throw it on your return. They really don't talk about how to, how to do the IRMA tax planning. Um, you want to work with somebody that understands that because that in itself is, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year in potential tax savings or more. It could be thousands of dollars in tax savings. And, you know, if all those things add up in retirement. If you can save costs on insurance, you know, you can save costs on, you know, additional tax penalties. You know, if you can generate more income and capital gains and dividends that are tax advantaged income. You know, all those things are important, um, and they all add up to potentially thousands of extra dollars for you to spend in retirement. So, again, if you want to talk to us, we work with people all over the United States. We do comprehensive, holistic planning. Uh, we are a large financial firm. Um, you can call us. Um, you can email us, you know, you know, 712-224-4651, you know, we're right in the Midwest with Midwest values, Midwest, Midwest worth ethics. Um, but we work with people all over the United States. So again, you can always email me, Mark at EFS for you.com, start a conversation. So if any of these things pique your interest, it's, it's always no cost or obligation just to simply visit and answer your questions through email or a short conversation to see if there is anything we can help you with. You know, one of the other talks that's really going on, Steve, is what about this inflation thing? Oh, you man, know? is that is that a factor or what? Yeah, because inflation is the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, Inflation can me make a rich man poor is what they say. Well, I, I don't doubt that. Boy, you go to the grocery store and you kind of get that message. Yeah. I mean, you can't spend less than $100 anymore. No, used you really to be, can't. Used to be, uh, you know, we used to go out for groceries and the joke was always, oh, I went to Walmart, spent our $100 and it's like, you know, bought all kinds of stuff. A grocery cart was full and it was $100. Yep. Well, now, you know, you can go with a basket and it's $100. You know, one of those little shopping baskets that you carry along. You know, not a grocery <laughs> cart right. anymore, so it's just a basket. Right. And so that's what inflation does to the purchasing power of your money. So, you know, you take it to, you know, take it to perspective with going shopping. You used to be able to fill up a shopping cart for $100. Well, now you fill up a shopping basket, and it's $100. And so it, it shrinks what you can purchase <clears throat> for the same amount of money. So, I mean, and as we deal with that, uh, how do we deal with that? I mean, this is where I think having a, you know, having that plan that we talk about all the time, and if you put it together a few years ago, it's time to relook at that and make the change. And, and that's where you come in too, Mark, when you talk about being a holistic advisor and a, a holistic firm, you, that document is a living, breathing, working, you know, work in progress. Well, it's, it's being able to, <clears throat> you know, hold somebody's hand and say, you know, John and Mary, you know, what are you doing, you know, with $100,000 in your checking account? Because um, there's a lot of people out there that have that kind of money that's just sitting there in cash. 
And so say so you realize that last year you you lost, you know, six thousand dollars of that hundred thousand dollars. It just disappeared. And they're like, Well, what do you mean? I said, Well, whatever you were gonna buy a year and a half ago, um, that you could have bought with that hundred thousand dollars, you can't buy it anymore. Now it takes a hundred and eight thousand dollars to buy the same amount of stuff. So in other words, again, the shopping cart scenario you can't fill the shopping cart up anymore with the same stuff. Now it's just a basket that you're filling up. And that's what inflation is. And so, you know, it hasn't been around for, for you know, we haven't had really a lot of inflation. And so people aren't really cognizant of it. But here's a question I would ask. And, you know, I haven't taught um or I, sh I shouldn't say we still do workshops all the time. Sure. But I I haven't really asked this question lately at the workshops. So I used to ask it quite a bit because we would talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about budgeting, cash flow, estate planning, and you know investing, retirement planning. And you know one of the questions I would ask is how many people in the room today drove here in a car that you paid more for than the first house you bought? And so. You know, I'll bet and, a few hands go up, too, don't Oh, yeah. They? Yeah. A few hands went up. And, and so what I was looking for was I was looking for somebody that was right around, you know, in their 50s, um, somebody that probably bought their house 30 years ago. And so I'd ask him the question, um, says, I don't want to know what you paid for your car. I just want to know what you paid for your house. And a lot of times it was, you know, it's a ranch-style, three-bedroom, normal family home. Um, and they bought, probably bought it for about $15,000. Wow. And it was brand new. And I said, so if I would have told you, you know, 30 years ago or 35 years ago, whenever they bought their house, that you'd have to pay more for than more for the car that you're currently driving, you know, than what you paid for your house, you would have looked at me and you would have said, you're crazy. And so what I say, I said, now, you young people that are in here, or even the people that are in your 50s that are going into retirement, remember this, that new houses today are, you know, really, houses today are, um, and it depends on where you live, of course. You know, if you live in Austin or you live in San Francisco, you know, you're talking about a million dollars for a house. I'm talking about national average home prices. So the national average for a, 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 an average new house is right around $300,000 today. Right. You know, and so just think of this. That house today worth $300,000 in 30 years, you will not even build to hardly buy a car for $300,000. And this is not a luxury car. You know, this is, you know, a um a Ford Escape. Okay. You know. Yeah, so Ford Escapes today cost, you know, what forty fifty thousand dollars? Sure, sounds about right. And so that Ford Escape in thirty years, you know, you're going to be looking at a three hundred thousand dollar Ford Escape. <laughs> but it's not going to be any different car, you know. And the homes are going to be worth, you know, a new home is going to be over a million dollars. So if you don't plan for inflation in retirement, um, it it can make a rich man poor. In other words, you will not be able to afford to buy things. If your money doesn't keep up with inflation.
Well, when you think about it, the average person, if they, you know, if they retire in their mid-60s, that they'll, they'll have easily have 20, 25, even 30 years in retirement. So, all right, so we've catapulted ahead those 30 years you just talked about. I mean, what are we going to be doing? Yeah, and they all say it, you know. They sure. all be like, geez, look at the prices of cars. I can't believe yes, I'm paying what I'm paying for this. I remember when I bought a new car for $3,500, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, th- that's something that you've got to plan for, and and uh, you can't let your money not be invested right. It's got to keep up with inflation, and so you've got to have a good investment strategy to do that with. And, you know, we've talked about on this show before those investment strategies we could you know we could do it now and we could you know they take another half hour but that's another that's another show you can find them you can t- you can listen to them I, we've talked about it in the past we'll talk sure. about it again in the future you know how do you invest your money to keep up with inflation what are some of the things you should be looking at and what you should be doing today um isn't necessarily what you should have been doing five years ago or what you did five years ago anyway Right. And, and so as we start putting our, our retirement plans together, you know, you know, again, we are living longer. We've got to deal with inflation. One of the things I think that's motivating when we start to see inflation is I got to get rid of that debt. I mean, to yeah. me, that, that those, those, those things correlate. Well, and depends on how old you are. You know, just think if you have a fixed mortgage um, at two and a half percent, um, and you know, let's say you had a fixed mortgage and you're planning to live in your home for a long time. Well, if costs are going up by five, six percent a year, that means it's costing you five, six percent less to live in your home each year because your wages should be going up along with the cost of your debt. And it should be super easy every year to continue to pay that debt payment. Um, because it becomes a lower and lower percent of your overall budget cost. So, you know, I'm a big believer in having your mortgage paid off by retirement, but I'm not a big believer in paying that mortgage off anytime sooner than what you should um, to coincide with a retirement date. Um, but yeah, if you have a $100,000 setting in your bank and you've got debt that you're paying 3% on, you know, maybe you shouldn't be keeping that $100,000 in the bank. Maybe if you're not going to invest it somewhere that's going to outpace inflation, at least pay off debt so you're making something on the money. And then if you do do that, here's, here's, a, little, here's a little thing that you should really do. I think everybody should have. Uh, it's a great emergency fund tool is go get a home equity line of credit. And a lot of times those home equity lines of credit are good for five to 10 years. There's no cost to get them um, and you don't have to use them. But if you need money, you need emergency funds for whatever reason, it's always going to be there. And one of the things is, is usually when you need the emergency funds, you're out of a job. So you couldn't go get a home equity line of credit at that time because they're like, well, you don't, you're not working. We're, you're not capable to come and get a line of credit because you don't have income so do it when things are good and then you can always you know it just sits there right you don't necessarily have to use it but at least it's there right i'll tell you what my my sister and brother-in-law did exactly that they they were working with an advisor who said this is a way you can do it yeah and it's just it's just one of those things it's kind of like um well it's kind of like long-term care and health care costs it's another thing that you know we can continue to talk about and we'll care. probably wrap it up with 
that conversation. You know, like you said, people are living longer. So Social Security claiming comes into play because of life expectancies. Health care costs come into play. And long-term care costs come into play. You know, one out of ten people uh, are going to be in a long-term care situation where they need extended care for longer than five years. Um, at a tune of $80,000 a year for long-term care, uh, that can add up to be big-time bucks for people that are in a facility for a long period of time. And so I'm an advocate of protecting wealth, um, but it has to be done in the context of your own situation. And so, again, go to a holistic advisor. Most holistic advisors usually are going to have an insurance license um, where they can shop the market uh, and go to an independent one that that works with a lot of different companies um, that can shop the market and help fill that gap. And and my point is, and I said this to my brother, I'll use him as an example. Um, He lives out in California. He's got plenty of money. And he said to me, you know, Mark, I remember you telling me when I turned 55 that I should get long-term care, but tell me why I should because I can I can pay for it. And he says, well, it's in some people's case that are that are affluent um, or that have money available to be able to pay for long-term care. And they said, why should I buy insurance, you know, and pay for it because I might not ever use it. And my point is this: is it's not necessarily because you 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 can afford to pay for it that you shouldn't get insurance. The reason is is because it's going to make your loved one's decisions and the, 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 I don't know how to put it. And I'll give you an example. You know, I said to my brother, well, here's, here's what I see. Um, you know, your wife, let's sit, let's make you sick. And your wife says, you know what? I, I want to take care of my husband because I made a pledge and an oath when we got married, you know, mm-hmm. that I would do X, Y, and Z. So I want to do everything possible I can to keep him at home. Um, and then, you know, that's great. And, and sometimes, you know, that's, that is what it is. And sometimes that is what couples do. But if there's insurance there, that discussion between the two couples is, look, we're going to buy this insurance so that I don't overburden you. And if I become a burden on you, I want you to know that this is the plan that we have put in place. So if something happens to one of us and they become a burden to the other person that I want to be in a facility and I do not want to overburden you. Um, or I I want to have the ability for you to get help into the home to help take care of me so you don't have to do it yourself. Because all too often you've seen it, you know, you know people that have done that and then, you know, their health declines because of all of the, the effects that it's had on them. Sure. Um, and the other qu- And then the other thing is, yeah, did you see how freaking expensive it is you know, to put that person in the home, I don't, I, I don't want to spend our money on something that I could do myself. Those are the things that come into play. And let's say now mom and dad, only one is left. Here's what happens. You know, the kids will say, oh, no, mom, she's doing okay. You know, she maybe has partial dementia. No, she, you know, the neighbors check on her, you know, every day to make sure she's doing good. You know, she's fine. She can take care of herself. You know, and what they're looking at is it's not mom's money anymore. It's their money. And they don't want to put mom into the home. I've seen it before. 
because, geez, did you see how much it costs? And look, it's our it's our money that we're spending. So mom can mom is good; she can stay there for a while longer. But if there is insurance there, the decision is well. There's insurance there. Let's put mom somewhere where she can get the care, and it's immediate. There is no discussion; it's done. And because it's not their money anymore, it's the insurance company's money. And even if there's millions of dollars there in the, in the estate and mom can easily afford to do it, the discussion that the kids have, unfortunately, is the same discussion. And so that's what I told my brother. It's not because you can afford to pay for it. It's because what happens when people develop conditions and how that process goes of whether you do have insurance or whether you don't. And boy, you lay it out there, Mark. That, that That's quite a scenario, and I hadn't really thought about it that way. And I think that's what sort of gives you an edge here, just helping folks understand that and to, and to realize there are things that we can do that will make life easier and better no matter where we are in the retirement game. Yeah, and that's one of the things we do. You know, you can go to our website, EFS, the number four, the letter U.com. There's information on there about basically everything that we've talked about today talks about our team, our individual advisors, what our philosophies are, uh, just a lot of good information. And, of course, you can contact me from there or call me. Um, be happy to visit with you. Uh, we do a lot of virtual meetings. Uh, we do in-person meetings if you're in the Midwest. Um, if you're down in Florida when I'm there, I'll come and see you. We'll hang out on the beach, you know. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll meet you there. Especially, <laughs> yeah, especially right now, right? Yes, exactly. So that's pretty much all I've got for today, folks. Um, thanks for uh, listening. Um, let me bend your ear for a little bit. And uh, that's all I've got. Have a, have a great whatever you're doing and uh, be safe throughout the rest of this year. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. EFS Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company.